Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Time to Talk. I'm your host, Sean Sennett, and my guest this week is the great Australian singer-songwriter Stephen Cummings. Stephen has just released a brand new record 100 years from now. It's a beautiful album made with his collaborator, Robert Goodge. Uh, Stephen suffered from stroke while he was on the way to play a gig in Brisbane a couple of years ago, and the fact that this album came into being really is a thing of wonder. I first became aware of Stephen's work when he fronted the sports, and I can still remember being in a record bar as a kid, just absolutely rooted to the spot as the lady behind the counter put the needle on the record for the compilation All Sports, and I just couldn't believe how good the songs were, one after the other. And after that, he's made so many fine solo albums. I remember in 1980-something when Rolling Stone made Love Town their album of the year. So if you have time, listen to the new album, track down those old records, tap into a streaming platform, wherever you can hear them, you won't regret it. Uh, the new album is out on CD and vinyl, and there's a coloured edition too, which I mentioned to Stephen as we started chatting, and it looks really great in teal. Anyway, I'm so glad he could join me today. Here he is, Stephen Cummings. Oh, thanks so much for joining me, Stephen. No problem. Thanks for having us, Sean. They've got the new record. Um, oh, good. A hundred years from now. It looks amazing on vinyl and even better. Yeah, it does. Look at that colour. Amazing. Yeah, it's, a, yeah, it's good. So it, I don't know where we should start, Stephen, because it's it's been – it's such a beautiful surprise to get the record in the first place. Mm. But then you should talk about how it came into being um, because it's quite remarkable that, as, as most people know, you had a stroke and then you went and made another record. Uh, yes, but I, well, it was more that I had a stroke that I made the record. It's um, basically uh, when I had the stroke, I, you know, I was in hospital and then I had to, had to go basically had two years of physio, learning how to walk properly again. And, um, you know, I couldn't use my, left hand because the left hand was sort of got so I couldn't really play the guitar and uh, while I'd sort of retired um, I didn't think I'd never be able to sing again I thought well if I just want to get a little covers group for fun it'd be good to be able to do it so I just um you know, and singing was something I could always just do without, you know, no thing to myself. It was just, I was just born, I was lucky I was a good singer. Mm. But now I had no control over it, sort of, it seemed. You know, I had to go to, um, my breathing was um, different. I had to learn to breathe again properly. And uh, it made singing... Um, very hard, you know. I went to um, physio people who were specialists at working with opera singers and stuff like that, and that's you know, cameras stuck down my throat, and they looked at my things, and I had to um, I had to do all stuff like that. It was just wasn't what I was expecting out of life, and um, I've always been very good friends with Robert. Gooch and he he'd been a bit he'd been sick the year before really with mm -hmm. a sort of 
stomach cancer sort of problem and he'd gotten over that. And so um, he could see I was really frustrated and uh, not being able to do anything. Plus there was a whole COVID thing happening. Mm. And um, so uh, it was a weird time, but he ended up suggesting, he and um, Simon Polinsky, the engineer, ended up saying, well, why don't we just do a few tracks for the hell of it and I'll just do it and we can just, um, first of all, the first five songs I wrote with Robert, he just sent me some tapes that he had and um, I worked out some melodies and lyrics and stuff and we put that together and we recorded it here in the room I'm in now, um, which was my son's youngest child's um, Bedroom, because our house was getting renovated, so we were living in a a friend's auntie's flat down the road. And um, so it was a really weird time. I was going for lots of walks around the race course. It was wet and cold, and there was noise and building going on. And it was the really unlikeliest of situations. But... Uh, um. And it was quite different because, you know, I had Robert doing all this for me, but he was also, it was unlike how I'd recorded before because um, not just the conditions, but Robert was really more in control and he um, made me really um, think about what I was singing and um, would um, record me and then cut up the word of, cut up some of the phrases how I was singing or cut words out or whatever fitted, you know, because he's more in, interested in um, dance sort of music, really. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, it was a quite different way for me to work. And then when we heard the five tracks, we really liked them. I was really surprised how well they turned out. And then Robert said, well, let's get some other people involved in them. Um, because he'd worked and produced a couple of albums for the Underground Lovers, and I'd met them through that whole proceedings, I um, asked if they'd like to submit a couple of songs, and they did, and that worked out really well. And so we tried, we got a few other um, younger musicians in Melbourne involved, and we never had any money or anything. We are just doing it as a thing to make, you know, just to appeased me to make me feel better I think and um, so uh, it was really odd to me that it's turned out so well and people actually really like it and uh, also mixed in with this was um, I thought oh well yeah we can pull off a record but you know uh, what am I going to can I never perform live again because you know I uh I really couldn't sing upbeat songs that well at all. Um, but, um, and so in the proceedings, this group from Sydney, from the Blue Mountains, King Curly, rang me up and asked me, would I play? They were doing an album launch and could they play with them on a couple of tracks because I'd said to the main guy, Steve, that uh, I'd support them if they came to Melbourne which I can't even remember. You know, it's very unlike me to say that. And uh, But I did it anyway. And uh, 
that worked out really good. That that gave me a lot more in, encouragement because I could see I could get through. And I was working with a different group of musicians, like a few people I'd met. I'd um, Robert had dragged in that, like the girl bass player and plays violin, viola as well. Maxine, she's really good. And um, Robert had pulled her in to get involved from her a bluegrass band. A bluegrass band they played together. Actually, she's from Queensland. Oh. And her father's a musician. She learned to play up there, but she just moved down to Melbourne. And uh, that's a weird thing. So it's working with all these people I didn't really know and and it kept sounding good. I couldn't believe it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's sort of how it's come about, really. The, the record sounds terrific and it sounds so unified and... Well, one of my favourite songs on there is Runaway Sailor. And yeah. What if you could tell me about the writing of that song? How did that come about? Um, no idea. I mean, um, it was just, I was really, I didn't have really, I was just sort of like going for walks every day, long walks and, I can't remember. I was around the race course playing um, Bob Dylan songs and songs by young Melbourne groups and things that I'd picked up because I've always been interested in new groups and young groups. Yeah. And um, and I just started listening to all this stuff and um, that was just one of the songs that just came. I, I really just wrote the songs to fit the music that people had given me and um, to document myself at the time, how I was, you know, trying to get better and walking a lot because I had to walk every day, like do lots of walking exercises yeah. up and down the hallway and around the place. So, uh, you know, yeah, I just sort of came to the, you know, oh, I, I'm sorry, sure. I'm not clear. I'm curious about your your writing process, Stephen. I get the impression you seem very focused on the thing you're working on. Are you a guy that kind of keeps notebooks and old ideas and stacks of things, or do you? Yeah, you do. Yeah, I keep lots of ideas, and then I just um, my some lyrics I wrote down a few years ago. Then just reignite and mix them up with some other lyrics and. I just kind of put it all together and it's very much of the moment, really. It's not like um, I really got a big message there or anything. I'm just trying to get um, just describe my living process or whatever I'm doing, you know, or whatever. I don't know. I'm really... um, I don't think about it as much as I used to at all because um, I haven't got the energy and uh, I don't know. I'm not sure what I'm... It's it's all been total amazed by the whole thing, really. It's just 
I wasn't expecting, I was just sort of doing it really and for something to do and um, and to uh, make me feel a bit more happier and in control or something. I don't know. But, you know, I, I really, it made me, you know, I don't know, since the stroke, I can go, if I, I can't drive anymore, so I have to get cabs and things and rent and, it's interesting that everywhere I sort of go, mm. I now start thinking about um, events that happened to me in these particular areas of Melbourne or whatever. All memories of different times in my life come back and I can think about it and it's quite strange. Have you ever been a nostalgic person? Because your whole career has been built on moving forward and doing the next thing, hasn't yeah. it? Yes. I mean, no, yeah, but I, I really, I don't know, I'm just a mix, a mixture of all these um, contradictions. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not nostalgic, mainly much of the music I listen to probably is older music, mm. but also uh, all older music. Or really new music. I'm, I listen to both of those. Yeah, yeah. With, with the record, um, there's one song which I think might be an older track, Anxiety Attack. Where did that yeah. come from? Oh, that came from years ago. I just had it and always liked it. Um, and then um, Robert worked out um, a way we could do all different mixes of it, you know, so basically, we just recorded that when I got some money from the Arts Council. And um, we just recorded it. And I had, well, at that stage, I was playing with Chris Abrams with the X, the next quite a lot. And we got him down in Robert's house. And Robert had a Fender Rhodes there. And basically, he just we spent the day and he got um, Chris just to play about four or five notes. And I'd already written that, the chords and... Um, the words, yeah. and um, then Robert sort of like put all the um, music um, together and cut up Chris's notes and made a pattern and we just sort of worked on it like that. Amazing. We actually got like a 48-minute version we might bring out at some stage. Yeah, I, I remember hearing that and yeah. I just went for a long drive and it was great to immerse yeah. in a song that long. Yeah, yeah. C Carry Your Heart's a very strong song too. Yeah, I like. Beautiful opener. Do, do you spend a lot of time sequencing a record? Does that take a lot of time? See, like getting the order? Yeah. Um. Yes and and sort of, no, I intrinsically know what I'm doing just because I played live and had a group for so long and I feel like I know what songs go to better well. But, you know, it's the same with, um because we've got this live shows coming up, I wrote down the list first mm. and um, then I gave it to, now I've just given to Sam, who's mm. uh, plays guitar with me and he's done a version of that which you thought might work better. And so I'm 
I'm pretty eager. Don't worry about it. When I was younger, I didn't like anyone else coming in and, you know, over, you know, having a big opinion on what we did or anything. And um, uh, now I'm the opposite of that. I, lo- I like people contributing and, and you, you know, it's good. You've got shows coming up in Sydney and Melbourne. Um, yeah. That must be a beautiful little thing to yeah. happen. Just- yeah, it's good. It's good to happen because I didn't wasn't thinking about it. And um I mean, but it just takes me back to just getting all these like I've got six or seven people playing in the group and it's really involved getting that many I find it a bit stress. That's why I'm only playing the two shows really, because yeah. it's I find it too hard to organise. You know, I'm hard enough to organise myself, let alone all these other people as well. You know, <laughs> it's too much trouble for me at this stage in my life. But, you know, I'm not ruling anything out. You know, I might just, with a smaller version of the group, just myself and um, Sam and um, Maxine maybe, mm. um, I might play some more shows afterwards. I'm not sure yet. I'm just sort of seeing how I go. And you've made a couple of videos too, haven't you, for the record? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, yeah. That, that's a long relationship you've got with the director. Yeah, the, yeah, the people, yeah. Well, most most people I work with in my life, like film clips or musicians, I've kept working with people. I've, I haven't really fallen out that much with anyone really. And um, so I like um, working with the same people because I don't have to explain myself all the time or anything. Yeah. Now, can you remind me of the director's name? He made that um, Not Quite Hollywood doco, didn't he? Uh, yeah, yeah. No, the guy who made the clip for me, um, Mark Bacardis here, he worked for that guy a lot, uh. but he's a uh, more a... Uh, Underground, he sort of um, he worked for a music site called The Noise. Oh yeah, okay, right, right. And he filmed all their interviews for them and stuff like that. But um, but I've known him a long time. Working with Mark, the filmmaker, and um, so um, yeah, it's good having the same people because um, basically, they were. No one was really getting any money at all. I was just doing it, and then at the end, I was just hoping um, I'd be able to get someone to put it out. I mean, that was sort of interesting too, because I was um, really going around rather than just go with the um, see all the same record companies again and see if they want to put it out. I wasn't more interested in just finding a new a young label or a new label and getting them to do it. Mm. Um, so I I went out and saw a, a lot of Melbourne, more than I've been done for years, a lot of new groups and labels, small labels who ran them. And um, that was sort of really eye-opening for me, but depressing too, because I thought, God, how am I ever going to um, get these people? I'm a really old guy like that. I'm going to... 
feeling with them, but I don't feel with the main. It was a, I don't feel with the main stream crowd, and, and I'm probably too old for the alternative crowd. I don't know. Um, so it was a weird thing, but luckily then I ran into. I found out someone mentioned to me about Wally, mm-hmm. and um, from Meanies, and I knew and then didn't know we had such an organised label together. Mm-hmm. Maybe because of the um, pandemic, or nothing weren't. I wasn't really seeing it hardly anyway. Just Robert, really. Well, it's interesting. You mentioned old guys. There's some great records coming out from uh, your cohort lately. I mean, Don Walker's made a really good record recently. Jim Magini's got a great instrumental album. Right. Tim Finn's done a couple of things with Andy. Yeah. Watt. So much, you know, gold in that, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's a shame when people are ageist like that because they're kind of missing out and hearing some really great music. Well, yeah, I, I mean, I have to say that, but I mean, uh, yeah, I think it's true too. Yeah, it's a very, it's a really strange time. It's kind of a bit like when I first started in music and that there seems to be, um, unbeknownst to me why it's happening, but um, there's cover, really cover bands and stuff are much Bigger again now. That seems to be what musicians have to do to get a crowd now, get a theme or, you know, a blondie cover group or something. And so it's really odd. It's sort of like the opposite of when I started in music, which was you could go out and do all new songs, original songs and stuff and sort of make a go of it. But now it's much harder, I think. Mm. It's interesting with streaming, isn't it? Uh, you know, I just looked up your stuff on streaming and you see what people are listening to of yours and it goes right across, uh, like a track from the new album is in your top five songs at the moment. So I guess right. that's a great way for people to find your music. Um, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, I do like the tactile thing that you've done a CD, you've done an album, and then when I put it on I felt really in the moment listening to it because – I have to sit there for 20 minutes aside and listen to it, then turn it over. Yeah. It keeps you very present, I think. Yeah, that's the best thing about records, I think. Um, that, yeah, I wasn't really into vinyl really that much. I mean, I think CDs are the, the perfect way to have music, but people got a bit too, um, artists got a bit full of themselves and made too long a, CDs and put too many tracks on and stuff. Yeah, I agree. Uh, but, um, yes, um, you, you, I forgot one of No, I was going to say, Jeff Jenkins did a really great uh, compilation for you a couple of years ago. Yeah. When something, a really beautiful collection of songs, when that happens, do you feel you've kind of got to draw a line under a big part of your career and start again and do new things? Um. Well, I don't think I literally thought that, but yeah, I think I sort of have always done that. But um, um, do do you think you'll um make another record? Have you got any song ideas? Kicking oh, around? I really don't know. I just kind of sort of really see. I mean, see how this one goes, follows out, and um. You know, I'm just keeping an open mind, really. 
I'd say it'd be hard to me to um, do another, not another album again because um, I just haven't got the energy now. And uh, but um, and there's things about the record thing I just can't stand. Um, you mean the record industry? Yeah. 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 But um, it's just. Not that it's worse than any other industry, but, you know, just things that have annoyed me personally. I mean, it's like, really, I've done a, a lot of good recording of songs and stuff and still, like, the people that run the music biz still won't, you know, um, I'm, I'm not in the uh, Australian, um, you know, um, Hall of Fame or whatever, or really considering how popular the sports were and how many records I've kept making, why APRA have never given us any sort of invited into their home turf or awards or anything. Like, amazes me, really. But uh, uh, I don't know. I, I think you personally, let alone the sports not being the Hall of Fame, is a travesty. It's just yeah. ridiculous. I mean, the thing about the music you've done, um, you know, groundbreaking. I mean, you probably paved the way for a lot of bands in America, I would imagine, Australian bands going over there and, and so much. I hope that's rectified. In fact, um, yeah. I'm going to mention it to them because I, I, I did a thing in The Australian a couple of years ago saying I thought that you and Kate Sobrano were long overdue for being inducted into that. Yeah. It is ridiculous. Not dissing them, but when I see human nature in the Aria Hall of Fame and the sports aren't, it doesn't make any sense. No. Um, do you think there'll ever be, because uh, I, I know that uh, David Lang did a great job doing some sports reissues with bonus yeah, tracks. Yeah, that was great. Will the second two records ever come out with bonus tracks? I don't know. I've got no idea. We never really... Here from Warner Brothers, really own the sports stuff now, and um, and you know they're they're not um. I mean, there's a new doc, like a documentary coming out of Michael Gudinski. Yeah, and the music they use um, they use a lot of sky hooks. And they use all the sports songs. And in a lot of ways, we were, I mean, considering we had a lot to do with Gidinski being successful. And, but we've, um, they've never even asked me for an interview in the thing or there's all different. They don't, I just, they try and own everything. Um, yeah. Or, um, you know, I find that really hard. Those things like that, the music business, or like when there was that documentary on um, Paul Kelly, they, um, the producers rang me up and said, um, can you sign this form, Stephen, just saying there was a sports poster being used in the film. And um, I, said, it's a, I said, it's a sports poster, and they wanted me to sign a thing giving Paul Kelly the rights to it. I mean, where's that? I said, no, 
I mean, I've always liked Paul Kellen. He's been good to me, but I mean, he had nothing to do with that fucking poster. And, oh, um, you know, I just always seem to be, um, the, the music industry just finds me a bit difficult or something. I don't know. I just can't. I'm, I think I'm a very mild person. So uh, it's weird. Well, you know, a lot of people have come and gone from the music industry and you keep making great records. And I think yeah, that's, that's that's right. That's a wonderful, wonderful legacy. Um, I really, like I said to you, Stephen, I really love the record. Uh, I recommend anybody yeah. listening to the podcast today to get a copy. And uh, it's great that you found a Melbourne label to put it out. Record yeah. Tapes. I, I don't know if they've done a cassette, but I think I mentioned to you, I found a cassette of your first solo album in a, yeah, up on the Gold Coast recently, and I'm surprised how good it sounded. Yeah. Um, so yeah, well, I, well, I hope you, you know, eventually go further afield than Melbourne and Sydney. We might see. Yeah. You. Okay, that'd be great. Great, Stephen. Thanks for your time today. Okay. Thanks, Sean. <laughs> <laughs>